0: In John chapter 18 and verse 38, the Bible says that Pilate said to Jesus, it's, it's in the form of a question, but, but it really was more of a statement than a question, that Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? What is truth? An absolutely virtuous question in, in many settings and, and situations, but, but at the same time, it's a question that can be a very dangerous question. And it is all based on the timing of when this question is asked, and in the moment, and in the setting in which this question is asked. I've been recently reading, going through the book uh, by Daniel Pink called When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. It it, It is a book that explores the impact of when we do things. Pink says, this is not a how-to book, but a, but a win-to book. Many people do the right things, but they, they do them at the right times and, or at the wrong times. And I've been learning about some of those things, something that would have helped me years and years ago. They said that you should take your most difficult classes. If you're a college student, you should take your most difficult classes after 11 a.m., Studies have shown that students that take their classes after 11 a.m. actually do better in those harder classes. I wish I had known this. I took a semester of Greek at 8.30 a.m. and it explains a whole lot uh, now why I got the grade that I did. It also, he also speaks about how that no high school classes should begin before 8.35 a.m., that we as adults should do the majority of our analytical work in the morning and our more creative work in the later afternoon or evenings and avoid the trough that is the afternoon. If you're trying to set a personal best in a, in a swimming race or a running race, you should do this in the evening as the majority of records that are set in the world for these types of races happen after dark, in the evening. It is all about timing. The question, what is truth, is also all about timing. It is a virtuous question for a five-year-old who is, who is asking a question of knowledge, asking a question to gain knowledge of the world that they are in. What is this truth? They wanna know, gain knowledge. It's a virtuous question then. They are seeking knowledge to understand the world. It is virtuous for the high school students sitting in Mr. Soper's Bible class or another Bible class in one of our schools in their desire to, to make the truth that they've learned their own and not just that of their parents. They ask, what is truth? It is virtuous for the, for the individual that is, that is hitting rock bottom in their life and they want to analyze what is the truth in my life that I'm following. I was speaking to an individual actually just this past week who was sharing a story with me. I've known this person for a while but I did not know this story about the time when their life kind of started to turn in a different direction and they had been pulled over for uh, driving under the influence and while they were pulled over, they searched the car and they found a weapon in the car. And suddenly, this individual was, was not only facing a DUI, but a felony charge. And at that point, they asked themselves this question, what's going on in my life? They were examining the truth that they were following in their life. That is a good time to ask that question. What, what truth am I following? How am, what truth am I going to live by? But the question, what is truth, can also be a dangerous question when it's asked in the, wrong, uh, in the wrong setting at the wrong time. And I want to explore that today with you. In all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is an account of Jesus before the Roman governor over Israel that we know as Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate ruled in Israel from, from 26 AD to 36 AD. And in all four accounts of this encounter that Jesus had with Pilate just prior to his death, you, you may recall that, that Jesus was brought before Pilate. The Jews wanted him condemned to death, but they needed the permission of the Roman government in order to do this. And so they brought him before Pilate. And in all four accounts of the Gospels, we see that, that Pilate comes to the conclusion that Jesus is not deserving of the death that the Jewish leaders are calling for. He comes to this conclusion we see through the conversations that he has with Jesus, through his observation of Jesus and by other means. Matthew chapter 27, which Tim read for us this morning, Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 11. If you want to turn there again, Matthew chapter 27, in, beginning in verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests, that is Jesus, and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge. Not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. In Jesus' silence, Pilate was beginning to be convicted that this man was innocent. He wasn't trying to defend himself. He wasn't wasn't standing up for his, his own rights. He was just silent before him. Mark chapter 15, verses 2 through 5, tell virtually the same story as Matthew chapter 27. You can read that later. And then in Luke chapter 23, verses 3 and 4, we see it again. Luke chapter 23, if you want to go there, verses 3 and 4, we read this. And Pilate asked Jesus, "'Are you the king of the Jews?' And he answered him, "'You have said so.' Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, "'I find no guilt in this man.' But they were urgent, saying, "'He stirs up all the people teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee even to this place.' But he said, "'I find no guilt in this man.'" Luke chapter 23, verses 13 through 15, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Luke chapter 23 and verse 22. A third time, Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. Therefore, I will release him. Again and again, Pilate shows that the conviction, the movement of his heart was to see the innocence of Jesus. In the book of John, though, we have the longest recorded Interaction between Jesus and Pilate in the book of John, chapter 18, verses 33 through 37. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? and told the Jews that he found no guilt in him. And then later on, finally, in John chapter 19, verses nine through 12, Pilate entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And then verse 12 says, from then on, Pilate sought to release Jesus. From then on, Pilate sought to release Jesus. It is obvious in these texts that the impression upon Pilate's hearts from his interaction with Jesus, from his observance with Jesus, Pilate is being shown truth, the truth that Jesus was an innocent man, the truth that Jesus was, in fact, a king. I would say, in fact, that his very heart is being convicted he's not only knowing this at a at a logical and mental level but his very heart is being convicted he is believing in his core he is who he says he is the reason i believe this is because history tells us and history shows us that that pilot was not scared to kill someone if necessary Josephus writes of one incident that took place prior to this, in which Pilate made a decision that the Jews were unhappy with, and so they began to protest against Pilate and against his decision. And so Pilate sent some Roman soldiers in amongst the Jews in disguise, and he had them have daggers on their side, and they had daggers on their side, and at the appropriate moment, uh, Pilate ordered them to reveal themselves and who they were, and they began to attack and kill the protesters. Scholars believe this is what is being referred to in Luke chapter 13, in which it speaks of Pilate mingling the blood of the Gentiles with the sacrifices of the Jews. Pilate is not fearful of putting someone to death, nor is he okay with someone challenging a decision that he has made, just as I stated these Jews were challenging his decision, and then he put him to death. And yet Jesus has just said to them, you have no authority, said to Pilate, you have no authority over me. If Pilate was not convicted in his heart, then surely he would have put Jesus to death immediately for challenging him in such a way. Yet the Bible tells us that when Jesus said this to him, you have no authority over me, what was Pilate's reaction? He sought to figure out a way to release Jesus. What do we see happening in all of this? This story. I would say we see the Holy Spirit working on Pilate. But Pilate is hesitating, he's waffling in the situation. He's not listening to that conviction that is in his heart. He's not listening to the truth that is being spoken to him and is right before him. And and so the Holy Spirit speaks truth to Pilate through another means, through another way. Matthew chapter 27, again. Matthew chapter 27 in verse 19. The Holy Spirit decided to work on, work through an individual that many of us, the Holy Spirit still tries to work through, our spouse. In Matthew chapter 19, or chapter 27 and verse 19. The Bible tells us, and while Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. The Holy Spirit was working on Pilate's heart Through the words of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was working on Pilate's heart through the actions and through the character of Jesus and through the demeanor and the presence of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is now working on Pilate's heart through his very own wife. His wife sends a message and says, I had a dream about this man. have nothing to do with him. He's a righteous man. Ellen White gives commentary on this moment. She says, even now, listen to this, even now, Pilate was not left to act blindly A message from God warned him from the deed he was about to commit in answer to Christ's prayer. The wife of Pilate had been visited by an angel from heaven, and in a dream she had beheld the Savior and conversed with him. Pilate's wife was not a Jew, but as she looked upon Jesus in her dream, she had no doubt of his character and his mission. That first line, though, even now Pilate was not left to act Blindly, In other words, the Holy Spirit was providing him further evidence of truth. Truth being presented to Pilate over and over and over again. Truth through the actions of Jesus. Truth through the words of Jesus. Truth through the, through the, through the message from the Holy Spirit through his wife. But at the end of everything, just before Pilate gives Jesus over to be killed, Pilate asks the question, or rather, he makes the statement as a way to avoid the conviction. What is truth? What is truth? The way that Pilate asked it, y'all, is a great is 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 the question that the world asks as it abandons the truths of our Savior. What is truth? It's your truth is not my truth. What is truth? That question is dangerous in the moment. When truth has been presented to us clearly and directly. When we've been convicted, when our hearts have been stirred, when we've, when we've seen the evidence of truth, when we've read the word of God and we see the, the, the truth right before our own eyes, when our, when our hearts are convicted by God and we, we know that we should walk in a certain way and yet we hesitate and we pause. When we understand what truth is and yet we, we refuse to submit and we ask that question, what is truth? At that point that question becomes a dangerous question because it's no longer a question of true inquiry. It is now a question of avoidance of following the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in the book of John chapter 14, the book of John chapter 15, the book of John chapter 16, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is known as the Spirit of truth. And in John chapter 16 and verse 13, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit will come and will lead us into all truth. Those nudges, those, those 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 urgings that we sense in our hearts and in our lives and in our minds at certain moments as we go through our through our days at certain times in in the journey or course of our life, that is the Holy Spirit desiring to speak truth and to guide us into all truth. The question of what is truth is dangerous. When it is a question to avoid the clear conviction of the Holy Spirit. Many of us have put ourselves on the same dangerous ground as Pilate when after being convicted by the Holy Spirit to do something, we then ask the question, Well, is this really truth? We put ourselves on the same dangerous ground as Pilate when we ask a cousin question to that, to that, to that question, but does it really matter? Does it really matter? And when we ask that question, after truth has been clearly and fully presented to us, at the time at which the Holy Spirit convicts, when we ask that question, we stand on the same dangerous ground as Pilate, who is consenting to Jesus' death. Consenting to Jesus' death. There was a man in Adventist history by the name of Moses Hull. Moses Hull was a preacher. He began... He became an Adventist preacher, an Advent preacher in 1857, and immediately people saw the gifts and the talents that Moses Hole possessed. He was a very gifted orator. He was a great evangelist. He was also very gifted at something else that Adventists did a bunch of in that day and age. He was a great debater. We used to get together with people of other faiths and sit in front of crowds and and debate our truths back and forth in order to convict people of uh, uh, the way it should be. And he was a great debater. And a group that Moses Hole began to debate were the spiritualists. And as Moses Hole began to debate the spiritualists, he, he, he began to have seeds of doubt planted into his mind. And also he began to have seeds of pride because over and over Moses Hole would win these debates. And Ellen White wrote to Moses Hole and she said, God has shown me, God has shown me that, that you're treading on dangerous ground You need to stop having these debates with the spiritualists. But Moses Hole talked to himself, well, well, what does she know? I think I can handle my own. Well, Moses Hole got into a situation in a little place called Pawpaw, Michigan. Pawpaw, Michigan is in just a little bit away from Berrien Springs, Michigan. And he had a debate with a spiritualist there. and, And it got so bad that he suddenly realized the danger he was in. And he came back and he said, you know what? You're right. And he confessed that, that he had been wrong. And she said, stay away from all the debating. But he thought, you know what? Does it really matter? I can, I can handle it. Does it really matter? To pause and to ask questions of does this really matter? Or, or is this really truth? In the moment in which we've been shown that it is truth, we place ourselves on dangerous ground. On the edge of our own destruction. Moses Hole continued to debate, and as he debated more and more, the doubts began to grow in his mind. In 1863, Moses Hole preached his last sermon up in the Northeast, an evangelistic sermon. He preached it, and then he walked out of that pulpit, and two weeks later, he renounced everything that he had believed in. Everything that he believed in became part of the spiritualist movement. He'd been convicted by the Holy Spirit that there was something wrong and that he should stay away from it but but something in him said you know what it's not that bad or, or I can handle it or I can control it or or is this does she really know what she's talking about when god has presented truth to us when we've been convicted when there's been some sort of prodding by the holy spirit in our lives in some way and and we walk away from that saying you know what does it really matter we place ourselves on dangerous ground this week, as we go into what is known as Holy Week within Christendom, and as next week we prepare on Friday night and on Sabbath, we, we remember the gift of, of Jesus' death and we remember uh, his resurrection and that we can have new life in Jesus through his gift and through his death and through his resurrection. But as we walk towards through this week, I would like us to ponder in our hearts this question. Is there truth the Holy Spirit has been convicted me of that I have been avoiding, that I have been denying, that I have been hesitating on? Is there a, being, is there a truth even right now maybe that you're being convicted of and, 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 and you're hesitating to respond to that conviction? Maybe the Lord is showing you something in your life, is showing you some some area of your life that you need to surrender to him. Maybe you're feeling uneasy about something that's happening in your home or something that's happening in your workplace. Maybe it's more than an ease. Maybe you know that something that's happening in your home or something that's happening in your workplace is just downright wrong. Don't push that aside. Don't dodge that conviction with the question, well, does this really matter? Or, Or maybe it'll all be okay. Surrender that to God even now in this moment even now in this moment? Is there some sin, some struggle that you're having God's convicting you of? Surrender it to God. The focus of this story, the way we often look at the story of Pilate, is we look at the story and we look at the story of Pilate and we we see what Pilate didn't do, how he didn't protect Jesus, how he didn't save Jesus. We look at him within the context of, of that evil, But can I close with this? The very reason why Pilate's dilemma, as we may call it, was a dilemma, was for the very reason that Jesus loved him. Let us not forget this. The reason Pilate was being convicted by the Holy Spirit, the reason why Pilate's wife was given a dream warning him to stay away from Jesus, the reason why Jesus responded and spoke directly to Pilate was because he loved Pilate and wanted to save Pilate. We think about what Pilate didn't do, but we miss what Jesus and what the Holy Spirit and what God were trying to do in the story. Even in this moment of of Jesus' trial, they were trying to save Pilate's life because he loved him. That's the thing. If you're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, even at this moment, it's not because God is angry at you. It's not because God wants you to be miserable. It's not because God wants you to, to feel punished. It's not because God wants to take away some, some joy or some, some happiness in your life. The reason why you're under that conviction is because God loves you with all his heart and he knows that next step could be the edge of the precipice. And just as he longed to save Pilate for eternity, he longs to save you. I talked, started the sermon by talking about timing, that timing is, is everything, if your heart is under conviction right now, then the right time to respond to that conviction is right now. If there's some sin in your life that you want to surrender and you want to let go of and God wants you to let go of that, the time to surrender that is right now. If there's some lie you've been believing from the devil, some, some truth that you've, been, that you've avoided because it makes you uncomfortable or it makes your life more difficult by the setting or the context that you are in, God wants you to surrender that to Him right now and to trust Him. Timing is everything, and when it comes to the conviction of God, the right time is always immediately when you sense that conviction. Moses whole, sensed the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but he hesitated, and it led to his ruin. Pilate sensed the conviction of the Holy Spirit over and over and over again throughout that night, through many methods and through many means. He sensed the conviction of the Holy Spirit, yet he hesitated and it led to his ruin. If God is convicting you of something, then allow him to take it even now. Surrender it to him. Allow the Spirit of God to speak to your heart and to convict you. And then say, the time is right for me to let it go now. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit, and maybe there's someone in here right now that is being convicted of some area in their life where they need to surrender to you. Let us not be like Pilate. Let us not be like Moses Whole. Let us not be like ourselves, who probably so many times have, have hesitated in the face of conviction. But Lord, let us heed the promptings of the Holy Spirit Let us heed the truth of God's word that we know. Let us heed your voice and say, Lord, I'm ready to surrender this to you. Lord, you know each and every heart. In this moment now, Lord, just in the stillness of their heart, may they say, Lord, I give this to you. Maybe it's a sin, maybe it's the doubt of some truth. Or maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's the lies that the devil has told them about themselves, that they're not worthy of your love. Lord, whatever it is, Lord, as the Holy Spirit convicts us and prompts us, may we surrender it to you. Help us not to hesitate and go over that ledge, but help us to walk fully in the love and the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray this for each and every one of my brothers and sisters in here. In your name we pray, amen.